1983, WXPR 91.7 hit the airwaves for the first time. This is a Northern Voice, 91.7, WXPR Rhinelander. Welcome to WXPR, bringing public radio to Hodag country. Over the past four decades, WXPR Public Radio has brought unique music, local news, and impactful programming to northern Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. To celebrate our 40th anniversary, WXPR founder Peter Norgren is taking a look back and sharing how it all began. This is part three of five of WXPR, the story of how it started. I'm Peter Norgren, and this is the WXPR story. Part 3. In the last episode, I talked about how the idea of creating WXPR came to me while I was driving on Highway 70 near Alvin, Wisconsin in the spring of 1977. And I talked about how uh, I incorporated White Pine Community Broadcasting with some help from Kurt Cron and Bruce McDonald. And in the spring of 1978, I saw John and Mary Kay Shearer in Manaqua, the two people I knew in the region, and shared the idea with them. John, uh, incidentally, was a uh, college friend uh, and also involved with WSSU at the University of Wisconsin-Superior. John's career would be as a national award-winning radio and television news director. At this time, though, he was working in a hardware store in Manaqua. Mary Kay was working in development and public relations at Howard Young Medical Center in Woodruff. I can't say enough about what Mary Kay in particular gave to this project. She was with it really longer than anyone else, including me, and carried, I think, the organization forward in ways that no one else really could have. And I'll always be grateful for that. And I'll be grateful for what John gave to it, too. He served on our board of directors and as treasurer of the organization for quite a while. Mary Kay also introduced me to Deb Gillis, the medical librarian at Howard Young Medical Center. Deb and I have now been married for 42 years. In the year that followed, from 1978 to the uh, summer of 1979, several things happened that moved the project forward. During this time, I was serving on the board of directors of KAXE in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and I was also serving as vice president of the Association of Minnesota Public and Educational Radio Stations. This connected me with uh, a number of people who would be important as uh, WXPR developed, notably Bob Albee. Bob was, uh, at that time, uh, working uh, to build KFAI on the south side of Minneapolis. He had previously helped create KMOJ on Minneapolis's north side. Bob would uh, shortly get a job with the Le Couture Band in northwest Wisconsin and start work on the uh, project that became WOJB. And WOJB is in many ways a sister to WXPR. Our projects came along almost exactly a year apart in their progress. WOJB got on the air in 1982, and we did in 1983. I was also working with the National Federation of Community Broadcasters. I was serving on one of their advisory committees. This brought me into contact with Tom Thomas and Terry Clifford, two people who played a large role, I think, in our uh, 
success in Washington, D.C. in obtaining funding. The Corporation for Public Broadcasting had created a public radio expansion project, a project designed to provide grants to help new stations start up and uh, get their feet on the ground. Somewhat to my surprise, I found I knew the director of the new program. It was Bob Thomas. I'd gotten to know Bob a few years earlier through an intern I supervised while at Bemidji State University. Bob was uh, at that time developing KWIT radio in Sioux City, Iowa. Our intern, Joanne Glom, chose to go to Sioux City and work with KWIT in the months leading up to its going on the air. Several years later, there was Bob as uh, director of a new program, and one that I hoped would be very helpful to our project. So let's jump ahead to the summer of 1979. After finishing up my work at Bemidji State University, I put myself through the uh, week-long Grantsmanship Center training program. This program was recommended to me by NFCB. It was sponsored in Madison by the State of Wisconsin Department of Health and Human Services. And it was for anyone who was uh, going to be undertaking grant writing projects in the future. Sometime after that, I also visited the Foundation Center in Milwaukee at the uh, Milwaukee Public Library and did research on uh, foundations which were uh, possible sources of funding. It's now the fall of 1979, and I've moved to the Harrison Hills to a cabin southwest of Rhinelander that uh, had been owned by my family since 1946. My father and his high school friends built it for my grandparents. It's on Bass Lake off Lon Basco Lane. And this is where the real start of the work toward creating WXPR began. I lived in the cabin until early November when the first snow came, and my activity was uh, really two things. First of all, I was doing some necessary uh, paperwork and planning. I wrote what I call the prospectus, a uh, brief description of what my vision was for the station and how it could be created. I also was doing uh, some necessary applications, such as the uh, application for tax-exempt status with the IRS. The prospectus was something that I was using to uh, introduce myself and the project to uh, people in the region. Other than John and Mary Kay, nobody really knew about it. So what I would do, I would make appointments, then take a swim in the lake, put on my uh, shirt and tie and sometimes my sport coat, and go and meet with people who I thought could be helpful. I started with Dr. Richard Brown, the president of Nicolay College. I saw a lot of synergy between the mission of Nicolay and uh, what I hoped WXPR would be. Dr. Brown was very interested. He too saw the synergy immediately, and he was very supportive, not only on that day, but on all the days that followed as we developed the station. As I met with people, I would ask them, who else might be interested in this that uh, you know in the area? The first person that led me to was Joe Isley. Joe was an area specialist with University of Wisconsin Extension and worked out of an office on uh, North Stephen Street in Rhinelander. I can't say enough about what Joe did for us. We really would need a uh, incubator to get this 
project going. And since there was not such a thing as a business incubator in the area at that time, Joe's office served as our incubator. Joe said, come in, use the copier, you know, do what you need to do. I want to get you the things that you need to move forward. And so we did. I was looking for uh, people who would become members of the board of directors, and quite a number of those that I will mention now did become members. Some of the others that I met at this time included Ginny Leith, a communications instructor at Nicolay College. Vicki Surfine, a bar owner in Rhinelander who was very interested in radio, Mickey was our connection in particular to uh, John Dorman, who was the uh, manager of uh, the cable TV system in Rhinelander and who did us two great favors uh, as we were building the station. I also met Michelle LaRock. Michelle was at the time an intern in the Native American Center at Nicolay College. Michelle was from Neopit in uh, Menominee County and a student at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. Michelle would soon become the director of the Nicolay College Native American Center, and she was a longtime member of our board of directors. Jim Holperin was doing uh, weekend TV news on Channel 12. Jim later, of course, went on to uh, run for assembly successfully and serve in the assembly. He was later uh, executive director of Trees for Tomorrow, then secretary of tourism in state government, and finally, a Wisconsin state senator. Jim was from Eagle River. His family had uh, been there for quite a while. His father, Russ, was also very helpful to us. And Jim, I think, connected us to Eagle River in ways that we could not have otherwise. Alvin Babadosh was our connection to the Lacta Flambeau community. He had uh, attended uh, UW Oshkosh and studied broadcasting there. Our other Lacta Flambeau connection was attorney Terry Hoyt. Terry uh, uh, was in private practice at that time, and it was very helpful to have a lawyer at hand as we developed the station. And Terry volunteered in a lot of other ways for us. We met Elmer Getch at this time. Elmer brought any number of skills to our project. He was a retired uh, lieutenant colonel uh, in the U.S. Army Signal Corps, pretty much knew anything about communications technology, and of course, uh, he had a lot of community connections in Three Lakes. Elmer worked tirelessly for this station, and his contribution will always be remembered. I also met several times with Dan Poehler, the tribal chair of the Sakagan Mole Lake community, and other members of the community who were involved in putting on the Mole Lake Bluegrass Festival at that time. I had some uh, public meetings into the fall and winter of 1979-1980. Uh, some of the people that we uh, connected with through the public meetings we met Charlie and Cindy Spencer, who were folk music enthusiasts from the uh, Boulder Junction area. They became uh, regular volunteers at our uh, fundraising events and music events, and Charlie, of course, was a longtime music host. Another was Mick Fiocchi. Mick was a community member and very interested in the station, and of course, uh, he has a long story with WXPR becoming its longest-serving general manager. 
With Mick's involvement came Karen Fiocchi, and with Karen Fiocchi came a wealth of community connections and volunteer energy. And that included the ashram group, Carol and Rich Wilson, Sue and Scott Newman, who lived in the Harrison Hills area and brought many, many talents, music, dance, and skills for construction on the station. Paul Ellers was someone that I already knew and was uh, happy to find uh, living in the Rhinelander area. I'd known him uh, as he used to mow lawn for my grandmother at her uh, summer home in Cornucopia. Dennis and Gretchen Passmore were bluegrass enthusiasts. I met them at a music event they put on. I think it might have been in the uh, Pelican Town Hall, and they quickly became supporters of what uh, I was trying to do. Kurt Yunkerman and Peg Clifton were young folks who had started up a business, Screen Process Designs, in downtown Rhinelander. They became interested, and uh, if you had a WXPR hat or a WXPR t-shirt or a WXPR sweatshirt in the uh, 1980s and I think the early 1990s, Screen Process Designs printed that, and they probably printed it at a very low cost for us. They did a lot of free work for our project. The project didn't have any money yet, but I had saved my money uh, over the past several years and had enough to live on, I figured, for a year with a little bit of work on the side. I was able to get a job as a part-time photographer for Nicolay College, that brought me particularly into contact with Larry Scrow. Larry was the director of the library at the college, and Larry was uh, quite enthusiastic about the project, supported it, and helped us connect with other people. This included Paul Meske, a media specialist at the college, and also Roger Davis, who worked in the media center. This was a critical time for White Pine Community Broadcasting, just getting up and operating. Many people helped, many people contributed. If I haven't mentioned your name, know that what you did is appreciated, and you can hear the results today on the air and at wxpr.org. By the spring of 1980, we had a working board of directors made up of people from across the region. I did some contract work for WOJB, preparing some of their FCC and funding applications. And I also planned and wrote the FCC applications for what would become KMHA at Fort Berthold in North Dakota. It was good experience. We were notified in late summer of 1980 that we would receive a $20,000 planning grant from the Department of Commerce, National Telecommunications, and Information Administration. That would allow hiring of me and Mary Kay Shearer to uh, work on the technical and physical planning for the station and also start the process of raising the necessary funds to build it. We didn't have money for rent, so we used a workspace on the first floor of the two-story apartment that I was renting at 610 Mason Street, just north of downtown Rhinelander. It would be WXPR's first space in the community. You've been listening to WXPR, the story of how it started. New episodes are released Fridays online at WXPR.org or wherever you get your podcasts.